0: world war ii it's known as the greatest generation and these are their stories it's the world war ii project here are your hosts americhicks molly vote and kim munson Hey, welcome to the World War II Project with the AmeriChicks, Molly Boat and Kim Munson. We are thrilled to have in studio with us Harry Marincelli. He served in the European Theater in World War II. He was a ball turret gunner on a B-17, so it is going to be a fascinating story. He did 35 missions, which is just almost unheard of. Uh, this show really precipitated from a trip that Molly and I took in 2016 with a group with the Denver Police Activities League that accompanied for d-day veterans to normandy it was a trip that absolutely changed our lives molly
1: it sure was we want to get as many stories as possible because every single one of your stories is different harry and so we're excited that you're here thanks for being here pleasure you know i that we can know, we can only imagine the things that you saw <laughs> and that you lived through and that you witnessed and you smelled and and we know there was loss But we feel it's so important to record these stories for future generations here in America, because one of the things that we discovered when we visited Normandy is they have American flags flying. They love and appreciate our veterans. Even today, in 2018, they teach their kids about the the sacrifices that you all made for them, for people that you had never met, lands that you had never heard of. And so we want to make sure that these stories stay alive. So let's start at the beginning. Harry, where were you when you heard that Pearl Harbor was bombed?
2: I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure I was in the Bronx, New York, and I was home. I didn't hear it on television. We did not have television then. (laughs) And I think that we might have heard it on the radio. And... There wasn't any bells or, you know, things going off. It was just a news broadcast. And that's where it all started as far as I was concerned.
1: Okay. And Harry, had you already decided to join the military before that?
2: Oh, no. No. No, I hadn't. None whatsoever. I, I had an uncle who uh, who had was in the service, and he fortunately left— um, the Pearl Harbor two weeks before it was bombed, Oh, and he wow. he was retired, and two weeks later he was back in the war again. But okay, that's his story, not yeah. mine. <laughs> and, were you,
0: Harry, so. were you surprised when you heard that the Japanese had bombed uh, the the United States?
2: Oh yes, oh yeah, I I really I I did. I I was kind of um, isolated, so to speak, you know, and I it was a surprise, a complete surprise to me. Yeah.
1: And then we heard that your, your father fought in World War One.
2: Oh, yeah. Dad, who, who came over here uh, went at the age of six, and, uh, was a naturalized citizen. Yes, he wound up in uh, uh, the St. Mahil Drive with uh, Pershing, and uh, he was a sergeant in, with the engineers uh, in World War I. All right. I outranked him at the end. <laughs> you never told him that, though, did you?
1: <laughs> and, and so where in Italy was your father from?
2: Uh, My father was born in Rome. I had a grandmother from Bologna, a maternal grandmother, and a maternal grandfather from Parma. So I have just about covered the northern part of Italy with those three. Do you know
1: what year they they came to America? Uh,
2: To the best of my knowledge, my grandfather came over when he was 14. And my grandmother, I don't know. I think they met in the States here. Okay. You know, and uh, I spent a lot of time with them.
1: Okay. And so, Harry Marincelli, you were in the 401st Bomb Group, 615th Bomb Squadron, squadron right. and uh, Army Air Corps, ball turret gunner, 35 missions, B-17. So, you hear Pearl Harbor was bombed. How did you decide, and at what point, or what did you do next to go join the military?
2: Okay. First of all, I'm only 18 years old on December 4th, 1942. And I was an eager kid, okay? Uh, my future was, eh, not, not much to speak about. I was, I was actually working at the time. I had a, a bookkeeping job of sorts, okay? With an outfit called J.P. McGuire. They were factors. And, um, the, so, you know, 18 years old, like, let me be a cadet pilot. So I decided to go into the pilot training. And, uh, I did that, and I went down, saw them, and, uh, it's a weird start to a to a, um, an army life. Uh, at, uh, at my induction down in uh, Manhattan somewhere, uh, they did. I didn't know I was taking a test. They took my blood pressure and my pulse rate, and uh, sitting down, standing up, and jogging in place. And uh, okay, fine and dandy. The only problem was that 20 minutes later or so, they came back and said, you flunked the Schneider test. Oh. And I said, what? You flunked the Schneider test, which means we can't allow you into the cadet pilot program, but if you want to, you could stay in the Air Corps. So the choice between the two was taken away from me. I said, okay, I'll stay in the Air Corps. So I wound up in mechanical training in the Air Corps. Did you they were ever find out to make a mechanic out of me?
0: Did you ever find out what the Schneider test was? No. Interesting. Huh.
2: I well as the, as my history progresses, you'll find out I did take another Schneider test. You want to wait for that or shall I tell it to you now? Go ahead and tell, tell us. us. Okay. All right. I'll I'll lead up to it rather quickly. I wound up in a mechanical program, okay? And as an 18 year old, I wanted to get rid- away from the east, west, south, anywhere, right? And I was, they did me, de- again. I wound up in Atlantic City, <laughs> doing my army doing basic training on the boardwalk, living in a 20 story hotel. But finally, I finished there, and I said, okay, now, I get rid of the East Coast, (laughs) wasn't to be. The Air Corps, in their wisdom, found three basic mechanical schools for me in Jersey City and in Long Island, (laughs) one of which you'll know Roosevelt Field, which is now, I think, a, a, a complex. And so finally I finished there, and they sent me out to another school And I was supposed to be a specialist on an A-25 bomb. Now, this really exists, you may not be able to find it, but this bomb did exist at one time. It's in my records.
0: I've never heard of it before, Harry.
2: Nobody ever heard of it. And this little school was attached to a Pratt & Whitney engine factory. And that's what we were supposed to get to learn, to be efficient on this... Engine that the Pratt and Whitney people were building. Okay, so the A twenty
0: five was a Pratt Whitney product.
2: No, no, uh, the no. engine. The engine was the okay. Crew excuse me. That okay, propelled this thing was an A twenty was a circular. Got it. Um, a twenty uh, Pratt and Whitney uh, engine. Um, there was it was a, supposedly fly with two people: a pilot and somebody in the back. I'm never quite sure whether he was a navigator or a navigator bomber or radio operator. Gunner. But anyway, and that was down in Florida. Oh, Just about three or four days before I was ready to fly out, having finished that course, and now I had two stripes. I was a corporal. That's very okay. important. Okay. I had a corporal. And uh, a squad car came up to this thing, and uh, they pulled me out of ranks, they pulled me out of my barracks or wherever they pulled me from, and said, and I went into the office, and I said, okay you're going to take the Schneider test again. I said, what? i have forgotten all about it. He said, yeah. <laughs> and they drove me to, to the best of my knowledge, a Navy base. And, I, and there was a sailor there, and he was going to take my test again. And he said, Harry, before you leave here, you are going to pass this test. He was a man of his word. Every time... The figure was right. He put it down on a piece of paper. When he got the right figures, I passed the Schneider test. <laughs> and that was me, the end of my trip with the A-25 dive bomber. <laughs> and now really waiting to get back to the East Coast. Now I'm in East St. Louis, by the way. Okay. Okay. And that's where the Pratt & Whitney plant was. And from there, they sent me. They didn't send me back East. Oh, no. They sent me to Washington University, which I think is in the western part of St. Louis. And there I had a a three-month college training with the staff of the Washington University. Great school. Great school.
0: Okay, so what happened then? You're at Washington University in St. Louis. So what happened after that? Washington
2: University. Well, there's one important thing happened in Washington university among all the other uh, academic courses. They also provided the, everybody who was there, every student there, 10 hours of training, Piper cub training, the small Piper cub. Uh-huh. And with a with a pilot instructor. We went up for 10 hours. Right. And I drove my, my instructor crazy. I couldn't keep the, the, the plane level. So he kept on hiding the instruments. He said, well, and so, said, what are you doing? I, 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 well, after about four hours, you know, I, I figured it out. This kid's never going to fly an airplane for the Army Air Corps. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway. It's good we, to find we, that
1: we, out before you get over there to, uh, we, to Europe. We,
2: we graduated from Washington University, and I was sent down to San Antonio, Texas. With 200 odd right, right kit. you know. But at this time here, things were getting... We were winning, and they were getting harder at who they let into the cadet training program. Now, I'm not using this as an excuse for myself, but all I'm doing is making an excuse for a lot of these athletes that I went down there with, and some of them didn't, you know, some of them washed out down there, and I did too, and they got me for uh, coordination and and my eyesight, the depth perception, so... Okay, so anyway, here I am now, nowhere. I'm not. I'm not in a pilot program. So they come over to me and says, "Would you like to be a gunner?" I said, "Okay." So from there, I went to Amarillo, Texas, and trained to be an aerial gunner. At the fi- <laughs> there's, a, there's a small story there too. Now this is the first time I at in Amarillo, Texas. I really had a real gun in my hand. Okay, and I was on a Uh, shooting at some targets, and the sergeant was beside me, and he said, you'll pardon the expression, what the hell are you shooting at, Harry? I said, the target. He said, no, you're not. (laughs) So he took the gun from my right shoulder, put it on my left shoulder, and I proceeded to hit the target. I never knew to that day that my master eye was not my right eye, but my left eye,
1: which made all the
2: difference in the world.
1: But you're right-handed.
2: But I'm right-handed.
1: Oh, okay.
2: And nobody ever tried to change it. Maybe either.
1: that's what Kim needs to fix on her shooting. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's exactly what I so, need to do.
2: So anyway, that's so I went. So I finished the course in uh, uh, in Amarillo, Texas, and now I'm an aerial gunner. Okay, okay. okay. an talk,
1: aerial let's... gunner because you ended up being a ball turret gunner. So what's an aerial gunner?
2: Well, an aerial gunner means you could be any gunner uh, on the B seventeen. Okay. Okay. There was a top gunner. Uh, 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 there was a waist gunner, a tail gunner, and a ball turret gunner, okay? Now, I was just a gunner. When you graduated from uh, Amarillo, Texas, you were a gunner, period, okay? Okay. From there, they well, should no, That's 1942
1: just, yeah. when you graduated?
2: No, no, that's when I signed up. I'm in 1943 now.
0: 43 now. Okay. Now, uh, talk a little bit about this training. Uh, there's got to be a difference between you know just like infantry training and being an aerial gunner. So, h- what did that progression look like? This you you said this was the first time you'd had a gun in your hand. Okay,
2: for, from that for was that was just at a gunnery gunnery range with a rifle, right? Okay. But as an aerial gunner with the Air, air Force, you, you had to be astute in machine guns. So finally, we we wound up with uh, machine guns. Look, uh, shooting at clay targets, okay? And we wound up on tra- on a training plane shooting at targets that were being towed by somebody else. God bless them. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so, this is
0: live ammo that you're shooting at a plane that's being towed by another plane.
2: Well, it was. I, I guess it was lime ammunition, yeah. They, 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 they uh, uh, could make penetration in the targets in, in that towing machine, and you know, and they could count how many times you hit it or how many times you missed it or something else like that. They never bothered to tell me one way or the other. Just that I finished the course.
0: If I, w- if, if I was the pilot for the plane that's towing the plane,
2: and I know scared. that it's a whole
0: well, bunch of rookies, I would It was probably rookies, like twenty twos all- like or something.
1: It was probably like little BB no, be bullets, scared. right? Yeah. It wasn't going to really hurt the plane.
2: No, and it was a kid from the Bronx who <laughs> that yeah. gun at me. Yeah, be no, kind of nervous. I would really be worried. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we passed the aerial gunnery school, and so we had to go, okay. So then he sent me and... Uh, All of the gunners to various flight training. No, no, I'm sorry. They didn't. They sent us to uh, Salt Lake City, Iowa. Uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay. 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 And there, okay. Let me let me regress for just right, hang a on, second. Let I want to tell make everybody a point.
1: that you just tuned into the Americhicks World War II Project, and we're speaking with Harry Marincelli, and he is telling his story of preparing for World War II before he takes off. And right now, it's 1943. So keep going. <laughs> okay. Salt Lake City, Utah.
2: Yeah, one of the things I forgot to tell you is that when I left the A twenty five school and having passed the Schneider test, they sent me to Jefferson Barracks, Missouri. And I don't know how... But I I didn't mention that. In Jefferson, Barracks, Missouri, I wound up taking basic training all over again in spite of the fact I had two stripes and was a corporal. Huh. I didn't ask any questions. They knew what they were doing. So I went through basic training. Okay? Then at the end of basic training, these were all cadets. Now, we're in the cadet training. There there were about 200 of us. And say there was 225 guys. Ready? They... Okay, we finished basic training. Now the cadets were going to go out to their colleges. Okay? 224 guys left for the East Coast, which I wanted to get back to. I was in Missouri at that. And I didn't. I was left behind all by myself in Jefferson Barracks, Missouri. One guy. And I am saying, like, I saw two officers coming at me. And I said, what, is it? Uh, do I have your permission to go down to headquarters to find out why I'm still here? He said, be my guest. I went down there. And at the time, the air cord, this is the point I want to make, was operating on IBM cards. I did not know this. But every time you did something, an IBM card got punched. Somewhere when I went from the Pratt & Whitney School to Jefferson Barracks for, for 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 the cadets, nobody punched my card, oh. and that's how I got back into basic training. I might still be there, doing basic training because <laughs> that hole wasn't punched in my card.
0: That is absolutely fascinating.
2: <laughs> the Jefferson Barracks is closed, but I might still be there anyway.
0: So, you know what, Harry, right. let, let's hold that thought. We uh, this is the Americhicks, Molly Vote, and Kim Munson. This is our World War II project. Be sure and check out our website, Americhicks.com, because all these shows are posted there. And we are talking with Harry Marincelli. He served in the European Theater on a B 17 ball turret gunner. Before we do that, though, it is playoff season for the NFL. And Hooters is the place for all of the great games. And they've got some great football specials as well. And uh, the real fave that Molly and I have are these great smoked wings. Hooters has this fabulous cooker. They actually smoke them overnight, and they are half the calories. So uh, if you want to just check out for a few hours, watch one of the playoff games, meet some friends, have some delish food. Check out HootersColorado.com. That's HootersColorado.com. Let them know that you know the AmeriChicks. Welcome back to the AmeriChicks World War II Project. This
1: is Molly and Kim. We are in studio doing a live interview with Harry Marinelli. and if you go to the AmeriChicks Facebook page, you can actually watch the video, and then you'll hear it on the radio, of course, on 1430 a.m. And uh, Harry is telling his, his story. He served in the 401st Bomb Group, 615th Bomb Squadron in the Army Air Corps. He was a ball turret gunner 35 missions and a b-17 in the european theater guy from little kid from the the bronx and uh, he just wanted to get away from the east coast and boy you did get to see you saw a lot of the east coast you also got to see the west coast uh, we've been going through your basic training and, and all of your training you're you're ready to be a gunner um, is it time to go overseas now no. <laughs> okay. Well, give us a little bit more of your training then. What was okay. next?
2: Having got my card punched. Your IBM card. In Jefferson Barracks, Missouri. I then wound up in a crew of a bunch of guys who were now officially into the cadet program. And from there, we went to Washington University. Okay? You've already heard my experience with the Washington mm-hmm. University. Mm-hmm. And, and a ten hours in a Piper Cub, having then graduated from Washington University. Okay, we then flew, We then went to Salt Lake City. No, I'm sorry. Let me let's from, see. Um, going oh, okay, to. I'm world, sorry. Okay, I, I've already told war. you what happened with me there. From from Washington University, we went to San Antonio, Texas. And from San Antonio, Texas, it was there where the uh, cadets were broken down into pilot, bombardier, or navigator training. Mm -hmm. I had the misfortune of not having good eyesight at the time. Uh, My depth perception was poor. And, of course, the uh, experience that I had in the Piper Cub uh, led me to believe that um, I was not a good prospect for pilot training. And I was right. Okay, so I and another hundred students um, washed out of the cadet program in San Antonio, Texas. It was there that somebody asked me, you're not going to be pilot bombardier or navigator. Would you want to be an aerial gunner? And I said, yes. I went to Amarillo, Texas for the aerial gunner training, finished that, and from there I and many other guys were sent to Salt Lake City, Utah. At Salt Lake City, Utah, they then went back to IBM cards and plucked out 10 cards per B-17. And 10 of us who never met each other in the world, didn't know each other existed, found out that we were a crew on a B-17 bomber. And we officially wound up in Sioux City, Iowa, for pilot training, formation flying. It was really their training that they were more interested in than anything else. Because that was the formation training that we were there, and we were there for quite a few months. Hey,
0: talk to us a little bit about that, Harry. Uh, I I don't think people understand just how close you guys flew uh, when you were going on these missions. And my understanding is that there were different levels, like a, a top, a middle, and a low. So explain that just a little the bit. Formation. Well, let
2: me tell you how important that was. The training missions there, in, 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 first of all, these pilots had never flown close together in their lives, to the best of my knowledge. Wow, God, it's frightening. So I, you know, I, but i I think I'm speaking rightly for them. They were taught how to fly. And trained to fly close to one another. I, I can't tell you how close they were. I was not up front, oh no. But one of the things I do believe that they were taught there was very important. They had one. Uh, tr- uh, they went on some training missions where, in case they uh, the bombers encountered dense fog. They had what they call a 500-foot rule. Everybody went out 500 feet. The guys that were on the top of a lead formation, they went up 500 feet. The guys who were on the bottom, they went down 500 feet. And the other guys moved out in some way so they could fly through this dense fog and not crash into one another. Believe me. The alert went out to all nine guys, including the pilot, to watch out if somebody saw a plane that maybe only had gone 250 feet and he was close by, he was to be alerted. But we did it once. I never want to do it again. I bet. There was, if you can think of 2,000 planes or 1,250 planes yeah. all of a sudden going up, sideways, and down. Uh, anyway, so but we only did that once. But that's what the that's what we were there for. Yeah. We were training in Sioux City, Iowa, and uh, it was good training. All right, it was good training.
1: So, did you end up going to Europe after this training?
2: Uh, then from Sioux City, Iowa, they sent our crew. Now we were a crew, right, to uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, and 24 hours later, somebody told our pilot and co-pilot uh, Cooper. Uh, that uh, he was going to fly a B-17 to Ireland. And we left. On July 4th, 1944, there's those fours again, mm-hmm. we were flying over the Atlantic Ocean. I was playing poker in the radio compartment. I broke my watch there, and we landed uh, within a few hours of that in somewhere in Ireland and turned the, the B-17 over to somebody else.
0: Okay. Okay. So on this, Harry, July 4th, 44. So that's just, uh, just about a month after Normandy. What, what do you remember hearing about
2: Normandy? Oh, that it was, had been successful. We had landed, but again, the army wasn't telling us that much. Right. I mean, the Air Corps had their problems and the army had their problems and nobody's asking a boats are going to what he thought of the situation <laughs> yeah. and uh, we just followed our orders and our orders was to take that b-17 there and we landed there in, in july okay and it wasn't until august the 8th that we were finally called on as a uh, as a crew to take our bomber uh for a mission. Okay.
0: Okay, let's, at this particular point, there were, you, uh, you, there were 10 guys, or I thought the picture... No, you, okay,
2: just, you're, you're right. At we, we had to lose one man. The Air Corps, in their wisdom, decided they didn't need a 10th man, or they didn't need two waist gunners. They figured they didn't one way, okay. sh- shuttle back and forth, and by this time, the Luftwaffe had really done... Had, really been baptized uh, that's just the wrong word we we had, we were winning the Battle of the air,
0: but there were significant losses. I'm wondering if one of the reasons they took you guys from ten to nine is because there' have been so
2: many losses well what okay remember that when I flunked that schneider test, okay, luck had a big part about it in my coming out alive and also. I missed a m- number of dangerous missions. Okay? In 1942 and 1943, we did not command the skies over Europe. Okay. We did not have the P 51. Mm-hmm. We did not go down to Schweinfurt with P 51 escort, and where we lost 70% of our bombers yeah. on those two ball bearing yeah. f- missions down there. Okay? And,
0: because they would send bombers down in 1942, 1943 without
2: escorts. Is that what you're saying? I mean, no, no. They started out with escorts, but the escorts weren't able to to stay with them long they enough. They didn't have to the protect range them yeah. that far into Germany. Got it. Okay. okay. So what I'm saying is that by the time I got into my missions, right, I had an escort. I had P fifty ones it. escorting us to our tur- into our things. Okay. So, okay. number one, the Luftwaffe was beaten by those kids. They were kids, who flew the early missions. Yeah, which <clears throat> made Harry? it easier for me to finish our missions. I'm not saying all of us were that lucky, but they did make it easier.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, I think we lost. 88,000 airmen in World War II or something along that. It was so significant. For our listeners that don't understand what a crew of a B-17 was, let's run through that quickly. There was a pilot, co-pilot,
2: navigator. And a bombardier. They were up front. There was one of them also had a a gun, a twin guns up front, too. Uh, The the bombardier's responsibility was the ones up front. Behind them... Se- se- there was a top turret gunner, and Sexton was our top, was our gu- top gunner and engineer. And how if did he get If something mechanically that- went wrong with the ship, he was supposed to be able to fix it. Okay, in the air. Right. Okay.
0: Yeah, we've heard some stories about that. How did they get up into that that turret?
2: Oh, they just stood in. Okay, uh, okay. It was a platform, and he was up. And if you take a look at a B7G, you'll see that the top turret stands out above right okay. the the uh, fuselage. Okay. okay, and behind him, okay, uh, he was he was behind the navigator, and then behind him, as we're w- w- working our way towards the tail, there was the radio station, and BB Show B. was in the radio station. Kid from Alabama. Okay, And then behind him was the waist. Okay, And Charlie was our waist cutter. Okay, And I do believe that I was below Charlie in the ball turret. So explain the ball turret, because
0: that is um, our our understanding is they would have to crank you down into that.
2: No, 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 no. The uh, the ball turret was entered by the gunner in the air. He could not do it on the ground. Okay. He couldn't be in it when it landed either. But he could not. Okay. What you had to do is you crank the ball turret down. Okay. I did. Okay. The ball turret gun. Crank the ball turret down. Okay. Lifted uh, an escape hatch out. Sat yourself down into the gunner's seat. Okay. Reached up. Took the escape hatch closed it over your head, and at that time you were in a couch position. You were flat on your back. Your feet were the same level as your head, looking straight ahead. Okay, the guns were there. Your feet were there, and your head was ba- was back here. Okay, and you, the escape hatch that was inside the, the the plane when you got in is now you now rest. You're resting on that thing right now. Wow. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and uh, what was the radius?
0: How how far around could you go when you were in the ball okay, turret?
2: I, 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 inside the ball turret, there were, let's see, how many, three or four uh, things that, that kept me, uh, kept me alive. Um, one is that I had communication with the pilot. Two, I had one thing that I plugged in there. I had communication. Um, I had another plug. Uh, By the way, uh, you will always see uh, bomber pilots or the bomber crew with these heavy uh, leather jackets and pants on. They are worthless (laughs) in the air. When you go down to 30 or 35 or 40 degrees below zero, they're no good at all. What saves everybody's lives is the waffle that you put on before you put them on. You put on long johns that had wires strewn through them and had a plug in it. That, okay, that plug was plugged into the electrical system of the plane, and you got heated, okay? And then the other thing that you did do is that once you got into the long johns, you also had a pair of uh, boots, little boots, okay? And those boots were wired, too, and those boots... Got Attached with snaps to this long johns you had on, then you put on the other thing, those uh, things, those bulky things that you see, and then like you know, going to bed with those things. Oh, yeah, but so, and, and uh, <laughs> uh, excuse me, ladies, but there's there was also a relief tube, yeah, in that guitar, too. <laughs>
0: I've always wanted to ask the question about that. I never have over a hundred interviews, I always wanted to know about that, so
2: yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it took some concentration. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it did. Okay. Okay. And uh, yeah, so you 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 could relieve yourself. So you had that, and you had the oxygen, and then you had the, the oxygen mask too. that plugged into the oxygen system. So if any one of those things malfunction. You had a you, you had a you're you had pretty had tough in big trouble, and-
1: Harry Marinchelli. I want to ask you one question because you're talking about the suits and how they, they, you could plug them into heat. We had um, somebody on that was talking about the steel fortress, and he was telling the story about his father. Michael Sargent, mm-hmm. is that right? Okay, and so he was saying that he kept getting shocked by that suit that was underneath his he clothes. Had a short he had in a little it. bit of a short because they would ball up their outfit after each mission and throw it in the locker, and then they realized that it was kind of bending the wires, so they were getting shocked in the middle of the air.
2: Ooh, no, that that never happened to me or okay, any one of the crew. Because <laughs> you hung God. your I never clothes up, of that. you hung
1: your clothes up straight like a good uh, guy.
2: Yeah, no, no, I don't know what they did with what they, with that thing. <laughs> okay. I really okay. don't. <laughs> okay, so Harry, I would have been scared silly if I knew it was put into a <laughs> throne or a ball. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I do. I do know that something could malfunction. Yeah. Yeah. Because at a ten-hour trip to, I think one of the oil factories, I did lose heat in my boots. Yeah. So for ten hours, I didn't. Did I you didn't get frostbite in my shoes? Did you get frostbite? It was a cold ten-hour trip. Oh yeah. my yeah. gosh.
0: Okay, so okay. we were going through the crew. So we've waste gunner, and you said the waste gunner's in, like, the waist of the plane, and then I, you're the ball turret. Yeah.
2: So what, what else then? One more gunner. R- Ralph is our tail gunner, okay? And he made a speech one day to me, and I think it's worth going into there. And he said, Harry, if we ever get into trouble and have to leave this ship, right? He said, I'll wave to you as I passed the ball turret. Oh, thanks, Ralph.
0: <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> so jumping out and flying so the, down.
2: The problem with the ball turret was if 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 the, that, that thing came out, the ball turret had to go back, Yeah. put his guns down, get that escape hatch back inside the ship, unloosen it, get in, get his parachute, Put it down. Meanwhile, waving at Ralph as he's going. Oh my gosh. <laughs> No, I don't mean to make fun of it. No, but yeah, it, uh, th- it was th- a
1: dangerous, dangerous place to be.
2: Yeah, 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 and
1: yeah, cold. It, uh, yeah. And cool. Well, let's go to break, um, because when we go come back, we've only got one more segment, and I want to hear about your most memorable mission. I mean, walk us through a mission and what you saw, because being in a ball turret, I'm sure you've got kind of a 360 degree, or at least maybe 180, depending on how you can turn in those things, of everything around you. So hang on with us. We're the Ameritics, Molly and Kim. This is our World War II project, and we are in studio right now with Harry Marincelli and he served in the European Theater as a ball Ball turret gunner, 35 missions on a B-17. We'll be right back with more
0: with Harry. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks World War II project with Molly Vote and Kim Munson. We have uh, in studio with us Harry Marincelli. He was a young guy. He served in the European theater as a ball turret gunner on a B-17. Before we get right into this next question, though, we want to give a shout out to our good mutual friend, Brad Hoops, who connected us. Brad Hoops has interviewed Many, many veterans, many, many World War II veterans. Apparently, you just spent four hours with him that he got you on, on video. He has a wonderful book. You can see that on our website. It's Reflections of Our Gentle Warriors, and it is a, a, a compilation of stories. I think of, what, Molly, about 70 different veterans of, the, of World War II, both European theater and... And the Pacific Theater. And so we want to give a shout out to Brad Hoops. He is a man who has a heart for these stories. And we are ever grateful that he connected us with you, Harry Marincelli. So Molly mentioned missions. You were on 35 missions. That is significant. A lot. That is significant to survive that. So, first question Were you with the same crew through all those missions?
2: No. The last mission, the 35th mission, for some reason, I did not have a crew for that mission. And I went and talked another ball turret operator into letting me take his place. So that was the only mission I didn't fly with the, nine, the other eight guys I started out with. The, the only was the 35th mission.
0: Now, had they survived? Oh, yes. Okay, okay. okay. That's now, pretty unheard of.
2: Okay, What I want to do now is, I've been laughing and smiling through this program so far. I'd like to get serious right now. Is that I want to commend all those kids who flew those missions before I flew my first mission. I flew 35 missions. I was lucky to get to the to the target with a great crew and return home. On some of those missions, other other guys did not make it home for various reasons. We lost a couple of planes over the North Sea simply because the bombs we were carrying blew up, right? Uh, We lost planes to... What I call the box flak formation, the Germans had a gun, a great gun. They had a gun called an eighty-eight, which was their flak, that anti-aircraft gun, and they were experts at that. They knew when we were approaching a target, they knew at what f- height we were, and they sent up what the, what I called a box barrage. They had shells that started out at say twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, maybe up to twenty feet. So they weren't really aiming at us as we individually. They just put up a barrage, and the, those uh aircraft shells were timed to go off at a certain height. Okay, and that's what we had to fly through. By the time I got there. All those kids in front of me, all those guys in front of me, and the B 50 and the P 50 ones had knocked the Luftwaffe almost out of the sky. I know, and I have had beers with a few guys who came after me, and they ran into the Luftwaffe, okay? They even ran into jet Luftwaffs. I'm honest with you, this is lucky, Harry. I never shot at a German plane. I did not see one. I don't know how lucky you can get. I had to fly through the aircraft thing on 35 missions, but the Luftwaffe, for me, was never a problem. So I want just to go on record with that, that I think that I am one of the lucky guys, and all those kids who went before me, who knocked the Luftwaffe out of the sky, I thank you. Mm. And that's the score. Wow. Wow. The it's there's so much luck luck involved in in, in this type of thing. Um, On on one mission, I don't know where we were eight or nine hours out or uh, four or five hours out. Never eight or nine hours out, uh, But uh, uh, one of one of the P fifty one escorts I saw up to my right somewhere, and I was looking at him while while we were flying, and all of a sudden he just disappeared. One of those anti-aircraft shells hit him dead on. His luck ran out in that instant. And so it, uh, I was, I, we, we were lucky, really. We were lucky. Uh, we came back on one mission on two engines, but we made it back. We, we made it back over to uh, the hills of Dover or wherever, the channel over there and landed at, a, at an English base. Uh, from this moment on, this day on, I will not touch a Brussels sprouts because they were so all they were eating over there. I think it was Brussels sprouts in <laughs> that Air Force base. But um, again, being lighthearted. But we, we did get back. None of us ever got injured. And we we finished 35 missions and finished something in January of 45.
0: January of 45. So that would have been right around the end of the Battle of the so Bulge then, We started
2: in right? August the 8th. And finished about January 4th.
0: Thirty-five missions between that time frame, Yeah. Huh? Okay, yeah. <clears throat> so you came in a month after no- Normandy. Uh, Patton is making his tear across Europe. Were you giving him any cover for that?
2: Yes. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how I, how my mother did it or who did it for me, but it's. I have a, a little uh, map of the towns in uh, in France and uh, oh yeah okay our very first mission uh, and uh, prior to August the eighth we were scheduled uh, we 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 told uh, to, uh, uh, we went out to the uh, to pick up Obama and they we're all ready to go and uh, we had been warned in the uh, in, in the tent at the headquarters that we expect a lot of flack over Paris. Our men hadn't gotten through Paris yet, okay. So as, uh, we we were scared really because it, when, the, uh, when they were supposed to, uh, they had identified with a red spot. All the all the air, any aircraft guns to in and around a target. Paris was just one red blob of anti aircraft guns. <laughs> oh, Oh, so <laughs> anyway, and that was so, your was that your first mission? Anyway, that was supposed to be our first mission. Okay. So by the time we got in the planes and ready to take off, somebody sent a front, a wet front, over France, over England, and we never took off again on a mission for two weeks. In those two weeks, our boys went and freed Paris. Wow. And we never went. We never went to Paris again. But what we did do is uh, uh, maybe maybe I got the figures wrong. But anyway, we did help the boys who had landed on D-Day and were moving through uh, moving through France. And we did drop bombs ahead of them as they were moving through France and into Germany.
0: And what would you say out, out of thirty five missions primary targets probably what munitions factories or oil depot what what was your or was it a you know a conglomeration of things
2: well, the longest missions and the m- most uh protected missions were the oil factories okay and uh, yes the I think we made two missions to police, and uh, it was heavily defended with aircraft uh with with any aircraft. But again, the Luftwaffe wasn't, to me, there wasn't that much trouble. We had at least, you know, and for example, now I say we didn't. That means my ship didn't, right? But there, their Luftwaffe was up in the air. And if you were in the wrong position uh, in a thousand planes, you're, you're probably you're saying to yourself, if you were up there with me, you say, what is this guy talking about? No Luftwaffe. Well, I'm saying, I didn't see him. But that is isn't saying Some other squadron right. didn't see them because they, they attacked in formation from out of the sun and things like that. So it normally, to the best of my knowledge, it wasn't one plane, but it was a flurry of planes who would attack the B-17.
0: So, Harry, and you mentioned the box, and explain what that is, is the box formation to our listeners
2: Okay. the What I was talking about before and I said box formation, that was the anti-aircraft. If you can just imagine, put a box in the air, a gigantic box in the air, okay? And you have the base at 12,000 12, feet and maybe at 17,000 feet. So you got 5,000 feet in here, right? And you know they're coming in over you. So you, you, you shoot... Fire your anti-aircraft guns and have them fired time to go off at 12,000 feet and so on, up to 17,000 feet. And you know that those bombers have to fly through those guns, those shells going off. And it's just a matter of, you know, timing, really bad timing Mm -hmm. as far as the B-17 was concerned.
0: Well, in our formations, there was what the low and box, you, the well, middle box, and was, the, the you, upper you, box.
2: Or you what you had doing? a a lead navigator, you know, and you had a navigator that was pointing you over the target. And unless there was weather where you couldn't see the target, they they knew down below where you're going, where you're going to. You know, if you were going to police, you know you're going after their uh, f- their oil fields. You know, and. You know where they were coming in from, from from a long way out. So on that score.
1: Now talking about the flak, Harry, I, we've had some veterans that told us that when they were up in the air in the bombers, they had some protection against the flak. Maybe just uh, maybe a small piece of metal or something that some of them would <laughs> sit on or put near their heads. Did, were you able to use something like that as the ball turret gunner in the B seventeen?
2: Okay, there was there was a flak suit. There Was a flax suit. I tried putting on a flax suit, and there wasn't that much room in, in the ball turret. As far as I'm small, but there wasn't that much room in it for me, okay? So finally, after the first or second missions, I gave up with the back and the, and the front pieces, you know, so I could move, mm. right? The only piece that I saved was a piece I sat on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because when I was, you know, yeah. yeah, and so, yes, they did that they up front and inside. They they had flax suits on. Yeah. The um, the tail gunner, Ralph, who I haven't mentioned yet, I don't think. But anyway, uh, he, he was, I think he was laying down in the back and he could maneuver, right, physically maneuver, you know. But in the ball turret, you just, there wasn't that much movement yeah. in there. Protect so the I, most I important a, part. I gave up with the flax suit completely, except for the piece I sat on.
1: Protect the most important part. (laughs) So, Harry Maranchelli, what about after each mission? Just give us an example of what would happen when you landed. What did you need to do between landing and getting into bed?
2: Oh, once we landed, every crew went through an an intelligence briefing. What did we see? Anything extraordinary? And... They gave us a shot of liquor, too, but the, that's basically. So we did that after every mission. We uh, we went through a, a, a briefing, okay, and I told them what I saw, which you know, I, I guess I had the best seat in the house, really. Now that because oh, somebody asked me uh, the in in the uh, the the guns and the um, uh, uh the maneuvering of the ball turret was handled hydraulically. And I had two things up here, and okay. I, you know, and I had 360 degrees horizontally and 180 degrees vertically. Wow. So I could go this way here. So, I mean, if it was just a pleasure trip, you know, you, the whole France and Germany laid out ahead of you and down below you, you know. And uh, on one particular trip, just to, for how accurate they could be, uh, they were the Germans had pulled back quite a bit. And I, I just happened to have my guns burning down for no reason whatsoever. And um, I, I saw a, like a, a, somebody lit a match. You know, it at about 17, 18, 19,000 feet. But I saw this flash. And a few seconds later, about 50 yards off my tail, there was one flak shell firing. Now, I don't know why. This guy was down here all by himself, you know. But just to show you how accurate he was, it was seven, between seventeen and twenty thousand feet, he put a f- one shell fifty feet off our off our tail. They were they were good. They were good. Unfortunately, they were good. Really?
1: <sighs> well, thankfully, they weren't. They didn't get you. <laughs> we're coming to the end, Harry. We, um, can you tell us? Quickly, what do you think about today when you see the American flag?
2: I worry by inclination or by hobby i I'm, I'm a naturalist really i I took up photography not for photography but inventory plants. I'm a flower man, I guess and uh, but the uh in do not much in the seventeen hundreds and i sixteen hundreds. We have eliminated so many of our resources in these United States. I'm scared, really, what the next 400 years are going to bring, whether there's anything going to be left. One of the worst things I ever saw in my life was in a Time magazine, and they had two diagrams side by side. One of them showed in green the forests of the United States say, in the 1700s or the 1800s, and one in the 1900s, say, about 60s, 1960s or the 70s, man, we had disseminated, I think, 70% of our forests. I mean, we may be talking about forests that we have up in northwest the Pacific coast, but, man, we had forests all over the United States. We're growing corn on what once used to be forests. In these United States. and they're gone, and the way we're growing, we're not we're not reproducing them either. We're still growing corn and wheat. And mm-hmm. I'm not picking on them, but I'm saying this is what's happening. Mm. I mean, uh, the uh, uh, how how the how how long the oil and is which fracking and everything is going to last? I have no 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 idea. Coal, we don't even want anymore, but the yeah that's what that's what worries me. Yeah. I see. Oh, glory. And I say, God, I hope we still have something to work with. Yeah. Really. And the, I know The we're song growing. that says we tear down, down another growing,
1: forest to build but, up a parking lot.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But but I worry about our natural resources. Okay. Really.
1: Okay well unfortunately we're at the end of our time but we're so thankful Harry that you shared your story with us oh. it is uh it, it's it's so interesting you know you the, how how everything changes as far as the the weaponry the 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 planes everything that takes place but but you guys your generation I mean you guys were just young kids and you strapped on your boots and went to training and you were so brave and you went over there to fight for for freedom against tyranny for for people you've never met and we appreciate you and we appreciate you for sharing your story. So yeah. God bless you and thank you.
2: Well, thank you. I I chose a clean way of fighting. Um, the, my heroes are are the guys that are ground.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank so. you. Mary Marinchelli, thank you so much for joining the AmeriChicks this afternoon. This has just been awesome. Mm -hmm.
1: Anybody out there, if you know a World War II veteran, we would love to get their story. So reach out to us on AmeriChicks.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter as well, because when we have a chance to have somebody in studio like Harry today, very, very lucky, we do this interview live. So you can watch the video in addition to listening here every Sunday on KEZW 1430 AM. God bless you, and God God bless America.
0: Join us next time for the World War II Project, and your hosts, the Americhicks, Molly Vote and Kim Munson. Until then, keep saluting the greatest generation.